Thank you for tuning in to Harvest Christian Fellowship and Merrill Campus Podcast. We hope you enjoy our current message series, First Corinthians. Listen as Pastor Curtis House speaks about how churches are built on love. For more information, download the Harvest Christian Fellowship app or visit us at harvestchristianfellowship.org. We hope you have a blessed day. And I tell you what, of, of all the messages that we've preached in Corinthians, this message today, if you will listen to it, has the power, the opportunity to transform your life. Because I'm going to bring some things to light that sometimes we don't think about. I'm going to be talking about our Christian freedoms. And sometimes we take so much liberty in the Christian freedoms that we have that we don't realize that we ourselves become a stumbling block. You know, the problem with the church at Corinth is it refused to grow up. And, and eventually, eventually the Apostle Paul writes this letter and he says, Hey, look, if you continue down this path, it's going to bring shame in your life. There is a cost to being a disciple. Sure, we have freedoms. We have liberties that Jesus has given to us because we are forgiven. But if we're not careful, we'll use those freedoms in such a way that we'll become a stumbling block to others. And this is what was happening at the church at Corinth. He's saying, hey, beware. If you continue down this path, if you continue to look more like the culture instead of impacting the culture, it's going to bring shame in your life. And that's not where I want you to go. So the Apostle Paul is really being tough here on the church, and he's writing some things. You know, the past few weeks, we talked about it was influenced more by the culture instead of influencing its culture. Now, we at Harvest Christian Fellowship, we don't want the culture to come in and influence us. We want to be a church that influences the culture we serve. They accepted the pagan practices. They didn't receive the messenger, so oftentimes they didn't receive the message. They were proud of their knowledge. They, one would say, I follow Apollos, another Cephas, another Peter. No, not Peter, Paul. Are y'all even listening to me this morning? Paul couldn't address them as spiritual. As a matter of fact, he said, I have to address you as children of the faith. You guys are on milk. I can't even give you meat. You refuse to grow up. You're going to do things your own way, and that's, that's a shame. The church was very selfish. They would drink up the communion. They, they would eat all of the bread. They would get drunk. It was an embarrassment. And so the Apostle Paul says, hey, you know what? Above all things, when you learn to love God, love is what's going to follow you. And if, to truly have God's love, that means that you're going to stop what you're doing so that you have a positive influence on the people around you. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it this way, Greater love hath no man that he would give his life for his friends. In other words, he would die to his selfish acts, to his selfish needs, even to his freedom for the sake of his brother. That he wouldn't want to be a stumbling block to his brother. And that's growing up in love. So today I want you to hear something. The big idea is this, churches are built on love. Now, it's not the love that possibly you're thinking about because the phrase that has been overused by society, by humanity, over years and years and years, a phrase that's been overused is this one, I love you. And we say it about everything. We even talk about loving inanimate objects. I love bananas. They're so good to me. We say it about all kinds of things, right? I, 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 I love a chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, cream gravy, green beans, and put some black-eyed peas on the side. And I'm telling you right now, I'm a happy boy. I love that. 
And then, and then we grow up saying things like, I love you. It's amazing the Christian church today is, is really persecuted because it's seen as it's judgmental because we just don't love enough. I mean, my goodness, if, if two men love one another, why shouldn't they be married? If two women love one another, why, should, why can't they be married? Why can't they do, why can't they have practices? See, the Christian church doesn't know love. The culture knows love. And this is what happens. And this is what was going on in this day and time. Even the church at Corinth was struggling with identifying this. We use this phrase way too much. We don't even understand what it means to love. And so we misrepresent that phrase all the time. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Don't turn there. You're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But 1 Corinthians 6, 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. The Apostle Paul saying, hey, I have freedom. I have freedom to live my life because Jesus died for my sins. I'm going to go at this life and I'm going to go at it hard. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. See, it's about edification. It's about building up in true love and what true love is. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to start with verse 1. Now, let me give you a preface. We're going to be talking about eating meat or sacrifices that was killed or slaughtered, they were killed or slaughtered for the sake of pagan gods. And you may say, well, that's not us. I mean, we're in West Texas, we just eat beef. I mean, my goodness, XL's right down the road. I mean, this is what we do, right? Hang on a minute, he's going to get there with us. So he says, now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Let me stop right there. That was a common phrase in their day and time. It, it came, it really bled over from the Greeks, but they, they believed that they had all types of knowledge, all kinds of knowledge. They were very, very wise in the eyes of other men and women. But he says knowledge just puffs you up. But without love, right, it's going to be dangerous. Love is what builds up. Those who think they know something do not know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols. Now here's the thing. Of course they've questioned him. Um, what about going and eating food that's been sacrificed for idols? What about going into the temples and, and sitting down with, with those people who don't know Jesus yet, but will go and will partake in their practices in order that one might be saved? <laughs> we have the liberty. We're forgiven. I'll give you some examples and make this hit home here in just a moment. He says, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. There is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So what he's saying here is, yeah, I know there's sacrifice to all these gods, and there's only one true God, so sure, you know this, and so it's not the food that is really impure. But not everyone possesses this knowledge, he says. 
Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. But be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block for the weak. So here's the warning. You may be forgiven. But be careful, because if you're spreading a lot of hell around, you could be condemning others around you. This is a strong, strong message he's got here. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. You know, I went and looked at some of the oldest texts, the oldest manuscripts, uh, looking at that word destroyed. I was just kind of curious. It, it's perisheth. You've probably heard perisheth in some of the old hymns, right? You know, perisheth means to lose your salvation. They were so weak that they could possibly step away from the Lord to an extent they couldn't make their way back and who does he say that that's on whose shoulders is it on their shoulders or is it on the believers who are participating in the practices who are the forgiven ones you see the strong believers he's saying hey you guys are plumb missing it here now whether or not you believe in once saved and always saved and all that look i argued that 20 years ago for years that's an immature argument to me because we as Christians ought to be pursuing Christ and we should be growing in Christ. Not, we should be so far beyond salvation to a place where we are called into the heavenlies, bringing heaven to earth. And so, so here he's saying, my goodness, I can't even talk to you as though there's any depth because you continue in the pagan practices. So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Whew. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fail. It's a massive, massive warning that the Apostle Paul is sending forth to the church at Corinth. What Paul is saying is just because Jesus loved you and died for your sins, you are not free to live your life as you like. But if you follow Jesus, love will follow you. And love, the way Jesus defines it, is laying your life down for the sake of someone else. You see, love should follow you. You are abusing your freedom in the name of Jesus, is what Paul is saying. Look, the Corinthians were not just abusing their freedom. They didn't understand the why Jesus did what he did. He said, my disciples are those who what? Follow me. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. That's a disciple. So he didn't just die so that we could be set free. He died so we could see his love and it would be the compelling force that would drive us toward loving others beyond ourselves. Look at it this way. I would love to go to the Audubon. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, I don't want to go to the Audubon in a Volkswagen. Don't put me on the Audubon in, 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 in a Chevy Cavalier. 
No, set me down on the Audubon in, in a Z6 or Z7, whatever they are, Corvette. Give me one of those AMG Mercedes. Right, Jim? I really liked that when I test drove that. I'm, I'm talking about these things will fly 500 horsepower. Set me down in that. And here's our problem with thinking because we're, we want to see what? How fast will this car go? And how quick can I get from point A to point B? And here's the problem. Many of us live our lives that way. We live our lives. Here's the problem with doing that. We'll get on Audubon and we're just thinking about us and how fast our car will go. Instead of thinking we may be putting other people at risk who are also on the highway. Our lives, sometimes we live that way. And that's not love. And the true church is built upon love is what Jesus says. Here's an example. I, I was uh, watching PD Live the other day. I don't know if I've never heard of it. I was flipping through the channels and they, this, it was showing this policeman and he pulled someone over and there's these people in this little van thing with all these computers and they're, they're watching policemen live. And this policeman pulled this guy over and he, he walks up to the door and, and he says, sir, uh, could you step out of the car? And the man said, well, why do you want me to step out of the car? He said, because I can smell alcohol on your breath. I can smell alcohol in your car. And the man said, well, yeah, of course you can. I was down there at the, at the club, but, uh, hey, I live right around the corner. I'm, I'm on the block going to my house. If you'll just, just let me pull around the corner, I'm there. He said, sir, go ahead and step out of the car. And the guy got out, and he, he became irate at the policeman. Look, I live right there. He said, would you blow on this breathalyzer? Yeah, I'm not drunk. He blows on, and he's like three times the limit. And so the policeman says, hey, I, I need you to put your hands behind your back. You know, you have the right to remain silent. So you're going to arrest me. I live right there. And he was furious because he lived right there. He was so mad at the cop because he was almost home. See, when someone is drinking and driving, what is their main concern? I won't get caught. It's not about anyone else that you possibly could hurt out there. See, Instead of thinking I could kill someone, oftentimes we're thinking, I just don't want to get caught. If I'm watching a movie that has bad moral content in front of my children, I might be mature enough, but they may not. And by the way, I don't do this. I don't do it. If I say things like, don't do what daddy does, do what he says. That's poor practice. See, I might be able to drink a beer, one beer, I don't think I'm condemned, but if I do this in front of or with an alcoholic or someone who's struggling, it's a different story. I might have the freedom if I don't have the struggle, but it might cause him to stumble. So the best case scenario, I'm not going to drink. I tell my kids, I've told them this several times, like you never have to stop what you don't start. Just don't start. Just don't take that temptation. See, I could listen to a certain type of music, but if it causes Sue or whoever else to go back to worldly living, then I'm not going to do it. I can be sarcastic with my friends, but if Jim struggles with a critical spirit, then I'm not going to do it. I just use Jim, not thinking of you, Jim. Just, looking, just saying. I'm not picking on you this morning. 
You see, maturity in Christ is learning to put others first. Regardless of our freedoms, regardless of the freedom I have, it's learning to put others first, that we will not be a stumbling block for others. That's true love. This is why Jesus said, greater love hath no man that he would lay his life down for his friends. That's love. This is what Christ did for us, and this is how we love others. See, the culture's definition of love, the culture is in love with love. Now, we know in the Greek language, there's actually four types of love. I only have three listed. But, but so we have this phileo, which is brotherly kindness love. It's a brotherly love. It's where most of us operate. Um, it's sometimes where we fall in love with love, right? There's eros. Eros is the sexual type of love. It's the, wow, I'm infatuated with her, with her body, with whatever. That's the eros love. That love, by the way, is not found in Scripture. Isn't that something? There's some other things that are found in Scripture. Not, not, it doesn't use that Greek word in Scripture. So, and then there's this agape love. And agape love is God's love. The only way agape love happens is it's given by God through God because it is who God is. God is love. God is agape. It's a love that is given even if it's not deserved. It's many of you are married and you give love when your spouse doesn't deserve love. It's just true. You know, there's days that you go, man, I don't, I, uh, I don't love them. Not in a brotherly love. I'm going to have to depend upon the Lord to help me to love him or to love her. Right? That's an agape type of love. See, the culture is just in love with love. It's not in love with God. Corinth was in love with love. A selfish love. It was only concerned with self. It participated with a culture and cult practices. In love with love. It lived for themselves and not others. In love with love. It turned inward and not outward. Self-satisfaction. Self-gratification. It was in love with love, but not concerned with others. Caused others to stumble who had a struggle. See, they were in love with love, but they weren't in love with God. And it was a problem. 1 Corinthians 8, 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, if beer makes my brother stumble, if wine makes my brother stumble, if drugs or if music, if TV shows, if looking at the wrong things makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. I have freedom. Get me wrong, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, not to be yoked to a yoke of slavery. Of course, he's talking about the law of the letter. The law of rules there. And to unpack that in one message would be very difficult, but I can say it this way. I can say that, that it's not about the rules, it's about the heart. If we're growing up, it's not just fulfilling the, the law. It's, it's actually understanding that what I do is I follow Jesus, and what Jesus is concerned about is people. That's who he died for. So my concern then becomes less about me and more about you. But there will be people who simply say, my way is the best way. Your way is the highway. God forgives me, so I'm going to continue to do things my way, not realizing the witness that they're putting forth to other people. And they call themselves Christians, they call themselves members of the church, and they call themselves religious. And Paul's saying, hey, that is dangerous. 
Who are Jesus' disciples? Those who obey his teachings. Agape love compels us to think of others first, to think about what is best for others. Churches are built on this type of love. Paul begins this letter with, we all know that. All of us possess knowledge, but this knowledge will puff us up, up, but it will never build us up. Love is what builds us up. And true love is laying down our life one for another in the way that Christ would want that to be. See, the Corinthian church was so proud of its knowledge. Paul states knowledge alone creates arrogance. It creates pride. It creates sinful behavior. You know, even listening, when I think about listening, uh, one of the hard things for me is, is listening sometimes. Because I'm always thinking of the next thing I got to do, I got to try, or we got to go, or we got to be, or whatever it is. And so people will be talking to me, and then I'm like, I heard this before. Okay, I need to get this done, this done, this done, this done, this done. And they're just over there. I got to get this done, this done. And they tend to check out, right? Well, what if God's the one speaking? And, and, and if, I, if I get caught in that thing in that way, I'm not listening to God, so how can I love His people? And it's, it's kind of the same thing. The other type of listening, listening is listening to reply. Okay, come on, come on. Give me your rebuttal. Give me everything you got. Tell me how right you are. Keep going, keep going, because I'm about to hammer you. I'm about to nail you with my reply. Yeah, hey, I'm going to tell you something. We theologians are great at this. Right? Here's why. Because I'm thinking of a scripture that's about to, about to nail you. You just come on and then you're going to argue with me. And I'm going to say, hey, you're arguing with God's word. You're not arguing with me. Your argument's not with me. Your argument's with what God said. Yeah. And so I'm listening to what? Reply. Now, here's the true thing. A, a, a great way to love is to listen. To understand. Learn how to listen to understand. Okay, what are they really saying? What's the heart behind this? What, what's going on? Can I hold this for a while before I really reply? And sometimes God just says, unleash it. Give them my word. Make them decide who they're going to follow. They're going to follow culture. They're going to follow their, their knowledge. They're going to follow their wisdom. They're going to run over here and start another practice. What, what's going to happen here? Sometimes God says, says to do it, but if we don't listen to understand and understand what God's saying in the situation, we have the opportunity to hurt someone and cause them to stumble as well. See, love, agape love, God's love, it's self-sacrificing. It gives of self for the sake of others. It considers others' needs before its own. It has acts of kindness, goodness. It gives helps, direction. It builds up, it edifies, it strengthens others. Timothy Keller, I don't know if you know who Timothy Keller is. I've, I've read a couple of his books. One of his books, uh, he, he wrote a book called The Prodigal God. Just, just the title got my attention, right? The Prodigal God, what in the world? This guy, some kind of, let me read it, right? But he says this, he says, Falling in love in a Christian way is to say, I'm excited about your future, and I want to be a part of getting you there. Let me read that again. He says, falling in love in a Christian way is to say, I'm excited about your future and I want to be a part of getting you there. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Hey, I'm excited about the church at Corinth. I'm glad you have a church there because that's probably one of the most difficult places in the world to have a church. 
with all the pagan gods and everything that's going on. It's a difficult thing. I'm excited and I want to help you get where you're going. But you're going to have to learn to lay yourself down and take up the cross and follow Jesus even in the culture that you're serving. It's not just about forgiveness. It's also about obedience. 1 Corinthians 8, 7 and 9. But some, through former association with idols, eat food is really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. So he's saying your conscience, you've been given a filter, if you will. Right? Their conscience is being defiled and, and I'm surprised that it doesn't defile your own conscience. So they're watching you do it and they have a weak conscience and they're going, oh, okay, well, it's good for all of us too. Uh, I'm going to keep serving my false gods. I'm going to keep doing the pagan practices. Maybe we can include some of these in the church and it's going to be okay. And da da da. And he says, hey, be careful. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Let me just say, how would I apply this message from the Apostle Paul? I, I believe he just said it. Pay attention. The first point I want to make is pay attention to your conscience. You know, have you noticed that the news media, have you noticed that the commercials, have you noticed that that TV and production media, uh, radio, anything you listen or you watch never mentions a conscience anymore? You, you watch, you pay attention to me. They never talk about a conscience. Here's why. Because they're saying, live your life. Run, run hard. Do all this crazy, wild stuff. And, and, if, and if someone truly loves you, they'll allow you to be set free and just to go without any boundaries, any borders. So they don't speak about the conscience anymore. As a matter of fact, it's just amazing to me even what's on the children's channels. They don't want you to have a conscience. But God says, hey, you're given a conscience. And, and here's the thing with that conscience. It ought to convict you. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit working up in you. That is true. But even prior to that, you've had a conscience. Most children, by the time they're five, they can already identify what's right and wrong, what the expectations are in that household, if there are any. And he's saying, listen to your God-given conscience. Your conscience is a filter. Paul is saying eating the food won't defile you, but don't think about you. Think about others. You ought to have a conscience for others. Think about how you're affecting those who are less mature or are weak in an area. If someone else saw me doing this, would it cause them to stumble or fall back into sin? See, your conscience filters what the heart receives. It's like an air filter. When I was growing up, when you change the oil, you always change the air filter. Now, today in time, I don't always do that. I'll take the air filter out, bang it around a little bit, and see if it's dirty. If it's not too dirty, I throw it back in there. But back in the day, when we lived on dirt roads, I mean, you pull that air filter out and bang it around, it's like, good Lord of mercy, who in the world? Throw this thing out of here. I hope my car is okay. Or my truck back in the day, right? Because it's all about image. You had to have a Chevy short bed in the late 80s. And you weren't nobody if you did. Anyway. You weren't anyone. I'll say it correctly. See, an air filter filters the air. It lets the good in and it keeps the bad out. 
But you ever pull an air filter out that has a tear in it? And, and you know, oh my goodness, that's been letting something in that shouldn't come in. Right? It's vulnerable. And so a lot of times we go back to last week's sermon and we say, hey, we need to learn how to take self-evaluations. We need to know the own, our own tears. Where am I vulnerable? What, what could happen to me? You know, years ago, I, I remember Steve Friscop, he came to the Lord and, and uh, I don't know, he's around the age of 40, 41, and he was at a roping one day and he said, you know, I, when, I came, when he came to the Lord, he quit drinking, he quit everything. It was all done. He turned his life over to the Lord. He had an encounter with the Lord. And one of the things that, that he did was uh, he determined, I, I'll, never, I'll never drink alcohol again. It's not going to happen. And so uh, he carried a cooler around with him because when you go to a rodeo, you carry a cooler around with you. It's cool. You can't be a cowboy without a cooler. And so he had his cooler, and he said, you know, he's roping calves one day at a roping, and, and uh, he went over to his cooler, he popped it open, and there were some O'Doul's in there because he wasn't going to drink alcohol, and he pulled the O'Doul's out. And if you don't know what O'Doul's is, it looks like beer. It's, it's in a beer bottle. It, it, I guess it is a type of beer, but it has no alcohol in it. And so he pulled that out, and he popped the top of it off, and he said, I just went to, to draining that thing. And he said, standing next to me, I noticed a little about seven, eight-year-old boy with a cowboy hat on standing right next to him watching him. And he said, I realized he didn't know the difference. And he said, I'd never do that again. Poured it out. As it, see, you, you got to think about others. You got to think about who you're impacting. See, where's my filter weak? If you know your filter's weak, then, then let's get some help. Where the bad pours in and we need it filtered out. Our conscience reveals that to us. His conscience that day saw the boy and he said, oh my goodness, I can't even do this. It could be a stumbling block for that boy at some point in time. So the second point I'd say is learn how to love with God's love. So the first one is, listen to your God-given conscience. But the second one is, learn to love with God's love. His love is agape love. Agape love thinks of others first. It prays for others. You know, I love this because if you know Peter and James, and you know how they, how, how, or Peter and Jesus, I'm sorry, let me go back to this story. Peter and Jesus, if, if you know how they operated, Peter and Jesus, uh, one day Peter shows up, you know, and, and, and he's telling Jesus, you know, I'll never leave you. I'm always going to follow you. And, and Jesus kind of gives his prediction. But then he says this. This is an interesting conversation. He says, Peter, listen to me. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. So he just tells him straight up. And then he says this, but I have prayed for you. But I have prayed for you. You see, God's love says that we'll do this. We'll begin to pray one for another. When we see other people's weaknesses, we'll pray over their weaknesses. We'll pray with them. We'll learn to serve others. Now, Jesus said the greatest among you will be the servant of all. That's agape love. You know, I, I've said it many times, uh, staff, get ready. Because one day we're probably going to serve the custodians. Right? We have custodians in the church. I used to say it about Rusty all the time. Rusty, now just be a good boss to me when we're in the kingdom of heaven. All right? I've been very nice to you since you've been here and cleaning the floors and everything else. But you're, you're the greatest servant of all. 
You put your hand to the plow. You don't look back. You want to do your job in excellence. That's awesome. 1 Corinthians 13. This is what will define a true church. Love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then verse 8, love never fails. Now, if we were to just take that scripture right there, and we were to put your name in at every place that love is there, let me ask you a question. Is that you? You know Paul Seifert's preaching this message this morning. We shared all of our notes, and I noticed the last scripture he used was not this one. The last scripture he used was Ephesians chapter 5. And he said, this is love. That just as Christ laid his life down for his bride, speaking of the church, so we ought to lay our lives down one for another, husbands for wives, and wash them in the washing of the word. Is that you? It's time for us to self-evaluate and look at our lives because we are not here to reflect the culture. I'm going to tell you something. Even churches are in love with love and not necessarily in love with God. We all want to be culturally relevant. We want to dress cool. We want to have the bling. We want to, we, we, you know, the skinny jeans. and the. If that's you, I'm not after you. I'm just saying, you know, we're trying to relate. We're trying to relate, but we have to be careful that our relationship with culture does not look more like the culture than it does Jesus and his love, one for another. So if we put your name in there, Curtis is patient, Curtis is kind, Curtis does not envy, Curtis does not boast, he is not proud, that hurts. Jeez, I can't hardly make it through the first one. What about you? Because this is where God wants to grow us up to a place where we reflect His image. And we could honestly put our name in there and say, Wow! This is awesome. This is powerful. This is who I am. Jesus wants us to grow up, church. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the church at Corinth to say, Hey, I can't even give you meat. I have to keep giving you milk. And there comes a time when it's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to take responsibility in your own hands. It's time to, to, to move off the mother's milk, if you will. In Genesis, if you need Genesis chapter 2, it's time for the men to grow up, to leave their father and mother and cleave to their wives. It's time. And I love how he ends this. Verse 8 is a promise. Love never fails. It's guaranteed. Love never fails. The church that loves the way God intended, watch, is the church that will never fail. I want you to hear me. The church that grows up and loves the way God intended is the church that will never fail. The true church is built on love. It's built on Christ. It's the example of selfless giving to the point of a cross because of His love for us. The more mature we get, church, the more it's going to be less about me and more about Him. There's a day coming, I pray, where my story is no longer told. 
Because my, to- my story is so interwoven, interwoven with Christ that it's Jesus' story that is told. That's growing up. That's a place of maturity. Here's a couple of questions for us to process this morning. For prayer, in what areas is your filter torn? Have you ever stopped just to identify, hey, I'm weak in these areas and I need to stay away from these areas? In what areas is your filter torn? Do you have a tendency to think of yourself first? Is your freedom causing causing others to stumble? You know, this is a great message to, to reflect on our own lives. Is the freedom that I have causing others to stumble? Who do you love and how do you love today? Is there someone who could pray for you? Is there someone you could pray for? Well, listen, God is here, which means love is here to help. So I want to encourage you, if you need prayer for anything this morning, to make your way forward and receive some prayer. And watch God heal that tear. And watch your conscience come back. And watch how you begin to love well beyond yourself into others. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Because your word is true. It's whole. Father, help us to be responsible with it. Lord, I'm even thinking of the message Tuesday morning for Brave Hearts and speaking about how we are to be entrusted with the Word of God. That You have entrusted us with so much. And the day is coming where the veil is going to be lifted. The veil of maternity. And, and some of us are going to be so embarrassed. And, and Lord, I just pray that, that God, we would find ourselves on our knees before You this morning. And say, may that not be us. Lord, we want to be loved because you are loved. And Father, help us not to live a double life, but to be single-minded. As sing- The Apostle Paul wrote this, as single-minded soldiers. So Father, teach us what that looks like and help us to live it out through our lives. That we would love one another beyond ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.